Well, a very good morning to you. My name's Aaron Dowds. Whether you're joining us on Zoom for the very first time, a big welcome to you. If you're watching on Facebook Live or on YouTube, I just want to wish you a very happy Easter. It's a different Easter from one that we've ever had before. Uh, we've never had an Easter service where we've been in our own living rooms. But I want to wish you a very happy Easter. And I want to thank you for joining me this morning and joining us to hear. I want to talk about the Easter and bring an Easter message called Just Mercy. Now Easter Sunday begins the morning before the resurrection. It begins with death, despair, disillusionment, disappointment and discombobulation. Well that's the only word for confusion that I could think of beginning with a D. And I got that from one of the kids' programs. Now the disciples and the Israelites were hoping Jesus would be the promised Messiah, that he would save his people. He actually was the Messiah who did come to save his people, but just not in the way that they had hoped or expected. They expected some kind of strong military leader who would free them from the oppression and the rule of the Roman Empire. Tom Wright and Simply Jesus says this, Prophets promised a coming day when a king from David's family would bring justice, peace and prosperity to the world. The coming king would defeat the wicked, oppressive nations and would rebuild God's temple. He goes on to say, The people who were longing for God alone to be their king were clinging to the hope set out in the scripture. The hope that after all these years, Israel's God would return to be with his people, to rescue them, to restore them, to condemn their oppressors, to take charge, to do justice, to sort things out, to rule over them like a good king should, but unlike any actual human king they had ever known. That's Tom Wright in Simply Jesus, pages 34. Now with with the crucifixion, with Jesus dying on a cross, the disciples' hopes were dashed. They hoped Jesus would save them from Roman rule and oppression, but now he was on a Roman cross, dying like a criminal. They hoped he would bring justice and peace and prosperity, but there was very little evidence of that right now. They were hoping he would take charge and become their king and sort everything out, but now he's dead on a cross and been buried and a tomb. Easter Saturday and the Sunday of Easter morning begins with death, despair, disappointment, disillusionment and discombobulation. They were confused. The disciples, they misunderstood how Jesus would become king. They misunderstood how he would save people. They misunderstood how he would bring peace to earth. They misunderstood how he would transform the world. They thought the cross was an end to all their hope, and yet it was the very beginning of hope. They thought the cross defeated the purpose of God, and yet it fulfilled the very purpose of God. They thought the cross was a sign of defeat, and yet we know that it has become the sign of the greatest victory that was ever won. Jesus defied all their expectations of what a king would look like and how he would act. A king would not be born in a stable in a manger and come from little Bethlehem. A king wouldn't be poor financially and have to rely on others. 
A king would not hang about of drunkards, tax collectors, the lowlife and prostitutes. A king would not come humble and riding on a donkey. And the king certainly would not die a criminal's death shamefully on a Roman cross. So they must have got all this wrong about the Messiah. He mustn't have been the Messiah after all. He mustn't be the Messiah that they'd hoped and longed for. But we know with hindsight that he was. He just didn't act or do it in the way they hoped or expected. And isn't that so true of God in our lives today? We pray for God to act. We pray for God to move. We ask God to save and rescue and rule and bring justice and peace. And so often he doesn't do it in the way or in the time that we think that he should. And so on Easter Sunday, the disciples got the shock of their life when they learned that Jesus had risen from the grave as wonderfully read out before. Thank you so much for our scripture reading today. Jesus on the road to Emmaus helps him to understand from the Bible how he actually was and is the Messiah all along that had been prophesied and revealed in the Old Testament. We read from Luke chapter 24 verses 25 to 27. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In verse 26, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? That's a great question. Why did the Messiah, the promised one, the one that was promised and to be anointed and the, the Jewish people, God's people, the Israelite were to look forward to as one who would come and save them and rescue them. Why would the Messiah, the promised one, have to suffer these things? That's a great question. Why did the Messiah have to be crucified? Wasn't there another way that God could save his children? Isn't there another way that God could save his people? Well, why did Jesus come to earth and end up dying on a cross to save mankind? There are two main reasons, and we could sum them up by the just mercy of God. The two main reasons why God had to send his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a, on a cross and then raise him from the dead are, number one, the mercy of God. It starts with the character, the nature, and who God is. God is wholly consistent with his nature and his character. And he cannot violate his character, his nature. It's who he is. He is the unchanging one. The Number one, the mercy of God. Let's read Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Now mercy is an action taken by the strong toward the weak, the rich towards the poor, the insider toward the outsider. 
those who have to those who have not. Now we're told in John 3 verse 16 that God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die upon a cross that whoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. They shall live in a world forever and ever and ever when they die death should not be something that should be feared but for those who believe in him shall live eternally in a world where there's no viruses no suffering no sick no pain no evil no darkness no tsunamis no earthquakes and that is his promise eternal life but we're told why he sent his son god so loved the world the reason for the cross the reason god sent his son is the mercy and the love of god the love of god is the first and the main reason why he sent his son because god passionately loves you he passionately loves the children he created he longs for them to come home he longs to be their father and for them to be his children he longs for them not to be apart from him any longer but to come and live with him both now and for eternity god's love for his children was the first and foremost important reason that caused him to send his son jesus to die on a cross and jesus and his life and death went beyond feeling the mercy of god is not just a feeling because jesus modeled through his life and his death that his mercy went beyond feeling compassion on the suffering and it was moved with compassion. Jesus was moved, God was moved with compassion and he showed mercy. Jesus in his lifetime showed mercy when he encounters those who were hurting or down and out, whether they were being um, marginalized, whether they were sick, whether they were outcasts. Jesus was moved with mercy and compassion. See, mercy does more than feel, it takes action. And this is what Jesus revealed in the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is a very famous story, he revealed that God is a God of mercy. And the one who loved his neighbor as himself is the one who had mercy on him, who helped the man who fell into the hands of a robbers. He went across the road and helped him. He's the one who had mercy because God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love. And so salvation the work that God took by sending his son Jesus to die on a cross is the merciful act of withholding punishment for wrongdoing and giving forgiveness and eternal life. So the first reason for the cross, why did Jesus, why did God have to send his son is the mercy and love of God. The second reason that God sent his son to die for us upon a cross is the justice of God. Now God's mercy meant that God desires strongly because there is children and he loves you and his children passionately. Mercy and love is the first reason, but God's holiness and his justice meant that he could not just turn a blind eye to sin, sin, wrongdoing, people going their own way. Now imagine a judge that's got a convicted murderer brought before him. Personalize it. Imagine a murderer murdered someone that you loved and they're brought before a judge and the judge says, well, I'm feeling pretty kind and merciful today and he lets them walk out of the courtroom without any punishment. What kind of judge would that be? We would be outraged. You see, 
he, we would think that that was a terrible judge because a proper judge must bring justice, must punish wrongdoing, must punish evil, must not let wrongdoers off the hook. That would outrage us if someone harmed uh, one of our loved ones and the judge did not punish that person appropriately because there is inside of us a deep desire for justice made in God's image the God of justice and mercy there's within us this sense of injustice when we experience it there's an outrage when we experience or witness or observe injustice because God is a God of just to us God a God of justice and mercy now this brought um, home powerfully in a movie that I've just watched recently and you've not seen it I really recommend it a brilliant moving powerful film it's called just mercy and we're just going to watch the trailer for a minute tell me everything that happened the first time I visited death row I wasn't expecting to meet somebody the same age as me from a neighborhood just like ours could have been me mama but what you're doing is gonna make a lot of people upset. You always taught me to fight for the people who need the help most. Your life is still meaningful, and I'm gonna do everything possible to keep them from taking it. You don't know what you're into down here in Alabama when you're guilty from the moment you're born. God! Mr. McMillan. We done here. Mr. McMillan, please. I was just about to give up when I got a call from a Harvard lawyer looking to start a legal center for inmates on death row. I was in before he even offered me the job. You the lawyer? Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for driving all the way out here. Most lawyers barely make time to call. I can't believe you talked to all my people and said you are gonna fight for me. I did. It mean a lot. If you go digging in those wounds, you're gonna be making a lot of people very unhappy. When people care about a thing that much, they'll do anything to get what they want. When I first learned about all this, it was like looking at a river full of drowning people and not having any way of helping them. You ain't quitting, is you? No, sir. Each of us is more than the worst thing that we've ever done. I know what it's like to be in the shadows. my dad he did nothing wrong it's never too late for justice you're the only one kid enough to fight for me if we can look at ourselves closely we can change this world for the better we all need grace we all need mercy my truth back you gave that to me and ain't nobody gonna take that from us what a powerful movie in 1989 a harvard law graduate called brian stevenson and this is a true story he travels to alabama hoping to help fight for the poor people that are on death row who cannot afford proper legal representation his motivation comes from an experience that he had with his grandfather when he was younger. And he tells that in the movie. Now, Brian Stevenson epitomizes or is the perfect example of just mercy. 
he starts the Equal Justice Initiative and then travels to a prison to meet its death row inmates. And he meets a guy called Walter McMillan who's known in the film and who was known to his friends and family as Johnny D, who's an African-American man who was convicted wrongly in 1986 of the murder of Rhonda Morrison, a white woman. Stevenson, Brian Stevenson, the lawyer, he looks over the evidence in the case and discovers it hinges entirely on a false testimony of a convicted criminal called Ralph Myers. He provided false testimony, he lied, um, in exchange for a lighter sentence in his own pending trial. It was a complete injustice. Johnny D was completely innocent and he was framed. They had to find a murderer and the, the uh, police, the law agencies, blackmailed and forced this guy to give false witness uh, in exchange for a lighter sentence. Now, Brian Stevenson, he went on to become the founder and executive director of Equal Justice Initiative, a human rights organization in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, under his leadership, EGI has won major legal challenges, eliminating excessive and unfair sentencing, exonerating innocent death row prisoners, confronting abuse of the incarcerated and the mentally ill, and aiding children prosecuted as, adu as adults. Now, Brian Stevenson and his staff have won reversals, relief, or release from prison for over 135 wrongly condemned prisoners on death row and won relief for hundreds of others wrongly convicted or unfairly sentenced. Unbelievable. What an incredible man. And uh, the, the film's really gripping. Now, he was named in Fortune's 2016 and 2017 World's Greatest Leaders List. He received the Martin Luther King Jr. Non-Violent Peace Prize from the King Center in Atlanta in 2018. He is the author of the critically acclaimed New York Best Time Seller, Just Mercy, which was named by Time Magazine as one of the 10 best books of non-fiction for 2014. I listened to his TED Talk. It's beautiful, it's powerful. I'm just going to show you a few minutes from his TED Talk, which is one of the best TED Talks I've heard. It's so dramatic and so beautiful and so inspiring and so stimulating. We will ultimately not be judged by our technology. We won't be judged by our design. We won't be judged by our intellect and reason. Ultimately, you judge the character of a society, not by how they treat the rich and the powerful and the privileged, but by how they treat the poor, the condemned the incarcerated, because it's in that nexus that we actually begin to understand truly profound things about who we are. I sometimes get out of balance. I'll end with this story. I sometimes push too hard. I do get tired, as we all do. Sometimes those ideas get ahead of our kind of thinking in ways that are important. And I've been representing these kids who've been sentenced to, to do these very harsh sentences. And I go to the jail and I see my client who's 13 and 14 and he's been certified to stand trial as an adult. And I keep start thinking, well, how did that happen? How can a judge turn you into something that you're not? And the judge has certified him as an adult, but I see this kid and I, and I was up too late one night and I started thinking, well, gosh, if the judge can turn you into something that you're not, the judge must have magic power. I said, yeah, Brian, the judge has some magic power. You should ask for some of that. And because I was up too late and wasn't thinking real straight, I'd started working on a motion. And I had a client who was 14 years old, a young, poor, black kid, and 
start working on this motion with, and the head of the motion was a motion to try my poor 14-year-old black male client like a privileged white 75-year-old corporate executive. <laughs> and I put in my motion that there was prosecutorial misconduct and police misconduct and judicial misconduct. There was a crazy line in there about how there's no conduct in this county, it's all misconduct. And, now, the next morning, I woke up and I thought, now, did I dream that crazy motion or did I actually write it? And to my horror, not only had I written it, but I had sent it to court. <laughs> a couple months uh, went by and I just had forgotten all about it. And I finally uh, decided, oh gosh, I gotta go to the court and do this crazy case. And I got in my car and I was feeling really overwhelmed, overwhelmed. And I got in my car and I went to this courthouse and I was sitting, oh, this is going to be so difficult, so, so painful. And I finally got out of the car and I started walking up to the courthouse. And as I was walking up the steps of this courthouse, there was an older black man who was the janitor in this courthouse. When this man saw me, he came over to me and he said, who are you? I said, I'm a lawyer. He said, you're a lawyer? I said, yes, sir. And this man came over to me and he hugged me. And he whispered in my ear, he said, I'm so proud of you. And I have to tell you, it was energizing. It connected deeply with something in me about identity, about the capacity of every person to contribute to community, to perspective that is hopeful. Well, I went into the courtroom. As soon as I walked inside, the judge saw me coming in. He said, Mr. Stevenson, did you write this crazy motion? I said, yes, sir, I did. And we started arguing. People started coming in because they were just outraged. I had written these crazy things. And police officers were coming in, and assistant prosecutors, and clerk workers. And before I knew it, the courtroom was filled with people angry that we were talking about race, that we were talking about poverty, that we were talking about inequality. And out of the corner of my eye, I could see this janitor pacing back and forth, and he kept looking through the window, and he could hear all of this hollering. He kept pacing back and forth. And finally, this older black man, with this very worried look on his face, came into the courtroom and sat down behind me, almost at counsel table. About 10 minutes later, the judge said we would take a break, and during the break, there was a deputy sheriff who was offended that the janitor had come into court. And this deputy jumped up, and he ran over to this older black man. He said, Jimmy, what are you doing in this courtroom? And this older black man stood up, and he looked at that deputy, and he looked at me, and he said, I came into this courtroom to tell this young man, keep your eyes on the prize, hold on. I've come to TED because I believe that many of you understand that the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. That we cannot be full, evolved human beings until we care about human rights and basic dignity. That all of our survival is tied to the survival of everyone. That our visions of technology and design and entertainment and creativity have to be married with visions of humanity, compassion, and justice. And more than anything, for those of you who share that, I've simply come to tell you and to keep your eyes on the prize, hold on. Thank you very much. Now, isn't that so powerful and gripping? Brian Stephen epitomizes just mercy. And we learned that just mercy are the two main reasons why Jesus came to earth and died upon the cross. The two reasons are the mercy of God and the justice of God. Because God is a God of justice and a God of mercy, he had to find a way to punish wrongdoing and yet forgive people's sins so that he could come to him and live with him both now and eternally. But why did Jesus have to die? Was there no other way for sins to be forgiven, for God's justice to be satisfied? 
You see, God has all knowledge and all wisdom, and he decided that his son dying upon a cross was the only and best way to save mankind. It's sometimes described by the traditional phrase, penal substitution, but very simply what that means is that Jesus took the penalty or the punishment when he died upon the cross. Substitution, he was our substitute when he died. He died in our place, he stood in our place. When he died upon that cross, he represented us before God the Father. He took our sin upon himself, upon the cross, so that we could be forgiven. Now, as a representative, he took the penalty that we deserved. And Nicky Gumbo gives the following illustration. He says, Yet God is both a God who judges with justice and also a God of mercy. How can he combine these two apparently contradictory characteristics? The answer is the sacrifice of Jesus had made it possible for God to combine both justice and mercy. When I first encountered Jesus, the following illustration helped me to understand what Jesus achieved for you and me on the cross. Nicky Gumbel goes on to say, two people went through school and university together and formed a close friendship. Life went on and they went their separate ways and lost contact. Now one went to become a judge while the other's life spiraled downwards and he ended up a criminal. One day the criminal appeared before the judge. He had committed a crime to which he pleaded guilty. The judge recognized his old friend and faced a dilemma, which in effect, God faces. He was a judge, so he had to be just. He couldn't simply let the man off. On the other hand, he was merciful because he loved his friend. So he fined him the correct penalty for the offense. That was justice. Then he came down from the position as judge and wrote a check for the amount of the fine. He gave it to his friend, saying that he would pay the penalty for him. That was an act of mercy, love and sacrifice. Nicky Gumbo says, illustration is not an exact one. Our plight is worse. The penalty we face is death. The relationship is closer. Your father in heaven loves you more than any earthly parent loves their child. And the cost is greater. It costs God far more than money. He came himself in the person of Jesus and paid the penalty of sin. That's an example from Nicky Gumbo. Now, the question is, could God not have saved us without sending his son to the cross? Well, there are some verses which indicate that actually there was no other way for God to do this. If God wanted to save mankind, the only way that he could do it was through sending his son. It would meet the love and the justice of God, the mercy and the justice of God, without violating his character. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, going a little farther, Matthew 26, 39, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Now we know that Jesus always prayed according to the will of the Father and he always prayed with faith. So this verse actually shows us that it was not possible to avoid the death on the cross that was coming. That is what he meant by take this cup of suffering from me, if it would be possible. The fact that it wasn't taken from him, the fact that he had to go with the cross, shows that it was not possible um, to accomplish the work that his father had sent him to do, which is why he came to the earth to save mankind, without going through 
We're drinking this cup of suffering with going to the cross and saving people and bringing them back to God. The only way it seems was death on a cross or God could have answered Jesus' prayer and avoided him going to the cross, but he didn't. He had to go with th through with it. And that was the will of the Father. Jesus said something after his resurrection to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, which we read earlier in Luke 24, verses 25 and 26. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to, have to suffer these things and enter his glory? Jesus understood that God's plan of saving mankind, of redeeming us, made it necessary for him to die upon the cross. The, the author of Hebrews also confirms this in Hebrews 2, 14 to 17. I'm just going to read 17. For this reason, he had to be made like him, them. Jesus Christ, as God, had to come and be made like us in human flesh. That's the incarnation. He had to be made like them. He had to take on flesh. He had to be born from uh, human flesh through the Virgin Mary, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So Jesus' death seems to be the only way possible for mankind to be saved. Uh, and ultimately, it was this act of mercy and justice of God there were the two main reasons that Jesus died upon the, the cross. The mercy of God, the love of God compelled him, the justice of God required that a sacrifice be made. And this Jesus, born in a manger, he lived a life of sacrifice and compassion. He died on a cross as a sacrifice and out of compassion. He was raised to life and he started his new creation. And Jesus from the cross said, to tell us die, it is finished. Well, what was finished? The work he had come on earth to do, his new creation, to save mankind, to bring his children home. That is what he came to do, to start his new creation, to save mankind and bring them home and allow them to live with him now and forever. And on Genesis 2, on his sixth day, creation was finished and God entered his rest. Now Jesus from the cross tells us his new creation is finished and it's ready to begin. Jesus the Messiah had come to save his people, but not as his followers as expected. They expected a literal saving from the Roman Empire, but this powerful king that would, over, uh, that would throw off the evil forces of the Roman Empire. But Jesus would and did become king, just not in the way they wanted or expected. And Jesus is now king, sitting on his throne. He rules and reigns the world through the hearts and minds of his followers. As light is released in the world, when people choose to accept and follow him and choose the life and follow in his example, the life of sacrifice and mercy and justice as he modeled. The way Jesus' kingdom is established on earth is when his followers follow his will on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom comes as his will is done by his humble followers on earth as it is in heaven. So the two main reasons Jesus came to earth and died on the cross are the mercy of God and the just of, justice of God. And the reason is we can become, the result, sorry, is that we can become his children. And his desire is that we be transformed into his likeness. 
we become new creations. That's his desire, that we would become new creations. We will be changed to be more and more like him and changes us from the inside out so that we begin to look like and act more like him as his spirit renews us and changes us and makes us into new creations. And what's the result? What should we look like? Just mercy, just like him, just mercy. Now the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 tell us what we will look like when we allow the work of the Spirit of God to transform us from the inside out. In Matthew 5 verse 7, look for the triple whammy. There's a powerful triple whammy that he wants us, that Jesus modeled, and he wants us to look like. And the triple whammy is humility, justice, and mercy. Look for it in the Beatitudes. Matthew 5 verse 5, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus modeled humility, justice, and mercy. He wants to transform us into his image to model humility, justice, now this triple powerful whammy of humility, justice and mercy is seen in Micah 6 verse 8, some of my favourite verses in the Bible. It says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. It's the same triple whammy that we saw in the Beatitudes. It's the same triple whammy that we saw powerfully displayed in the life of Jesus. It's the same triple whammy that he wants to transform us into uh, with ever increasing glory, bringing us back into the image that he created us in originally that we fell short of and he wants to renew us and change us and transform us inside out by the power of his spirit. And that's what the good news of Easter, that he rose from the dead, he came out of that tomb and wants to change us back into his image, his image of just mercy. He also came to transform us into that original image, the image of God. And we have seen as one who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love. This is we hope, the hope that we celebrate this Easter. You can be forgiven. You can have eternal life. You can overcome the fear of death because death is something that takes us into an eternity free from fear, worry, doubt, viruses, pain, sickness, suffering for eternity. And God offers that by sending his son, by choosing to believe, by asking him for forgiveness, for going our own way and doing our own thing and doing what we know to be wrong asking him to change us, inviting him into our life. and We can start a new life, a life of overcoming fear. We can receive eternal life. You can become his child. You can receive his Holy Spirit, which is God's helper to live inside you. You can be transformed daily. Yes, we'll still make mistakes. Yes, we'll still struggle. Yes, we'll still experience suffering and sickness and pain and death in this life. But we know that this life's not the end. We know there's more to come. There's a better life to follow. And while we're on this earth, we're not just to sit tight and hang tight, but we are to shine as light. Uh, let our good deeds shine for the world to see and change the world into a better place. One act at a time, one act of justice, one act of love, one act of mercy, whether it's dropping off sh shopping, phoning a friend, even through sickness and suffering and darkness uh, that we're experiencing just now, we can let his light shine. 
and that's what we're called to do. We're called to hunger and thirst for justice, to act justly, to love mercy, to be merciful. And in this same way, we will see just mercy transform and bring light into the darkness. Jesus was born into this world to save mankind from darkness and to bring them into his light. It's intention that we don't sit around and wait until heaven, but that we let our light shine but let, by letting our good deeds shine and letting our light shine, even amidst pain and suffering, so the world can see. So Jesus, the light of the world, has come at Easter. He's come and he's renewing his creation. He's renewing you and he offers you the chance to be renewed by putting your faith in him. He wants to bring his kingdom rule to this world. He wants to transform the darkness. He wants us to reflect his light, to bring his love, his mercy, his compassion, his justice to this world, especially to the poor and the downtrodden that we've seen in those, that great TED talk. Jesus wants his followers to let good deeds shine out for all to see. This brings transformation not only to you, but to homes, to families, to villages, to cities, to nations, and to the world. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your death upon the cross, and we thank you that you rose again from the dead. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on a cross, that we could have new life and eternal life. I ask you, Lord, to come into my life today. I say that I need you. I ask you to take away my fear, my anxiety, my worries. I thank you, Jesus, that you died upon the cross in my place. I ask you to forgive me for living my life without you and doing my own thing, going my own way. For all the wrong I've ever done, for hurting people, hurting you, I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to come into my life today. Forgive me. Come and live inside me by your Holy Spirit. And change me to be like your son. Change me back into the image of God that you made me in. And help us, Lord Jesus, your people, to shine your light. To be merciful. To love justice. To help others. To let the light shine. Even in times of darkness and worry and fear, we choose to trust you. Lord, when things are not working out the way we think they should, or how they should, or when they should, may we trust you all the days of our life. Would you come into us now, Father? Would you release your Holy Spirit? Would you bring your peace? Lift off our anxiety. Lift off fear. And let the power of the Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead at Easter May that same power come to us now and give us overflowing hope, patient endurance and radical trust and hope for the better future that awaits us now on this earth and for all eternity. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.